back then it was still that old school mentality is like just like suck it up you know but i was just like ah, i'm fine you know i don't i play 12 minutes a night that's a scary thing for a young kid It definitely put me free to help me relax and help me kinda kinda drift off. Even my last year I still remember having those mental battles of worrying what other people thought. It's gonna be Back to Never Give Up Radio. We're now on episode 2.2. I'm fired up for this episode. We've got another special guest on here today. Uh, he was selected 99th overall in the 2004 draft by the Penguins, uh, originating from from the Sioux. Uh, sorry, Alex, we got two Canadians on air two on one again today. <laughs> um, <laughs> introducing uh, Tyler Kennedy. For those of you who don't know him, uh, he's had quite the uh, inspirational hockey career. Um, he spent two years in the OHL before, uh, of course, getting to the Penguins. Uh, in the 2008-2009 season, he won the Stanley Cup with some notable uh, line mates such as Crosby, Malkin, Orpik, Stahl, Gonchar, and of course, Flower in the pipes there. Um, in 2013, he was traded to San Jose uh, before shuffling to New York and New Jersey in, in 2015, uh, before ultimately retiring in 2017 with uh, Quite a few stats of 527 games played, 89 goals, 126 assists, uh, totaling for 215 points, and can't forget those uh, 239 pims with quite a few fights uh, wrapped in there. Um, so nonetheless, uh, <laughs> welcome TK to the show. We're so thankful for you hopping on air with us today. Thanks for having me, guys. Uh, I'm excited for the pod, and I can't wait to really kind of tell my story, some of my battles, some of the, some of the stuff I've learned to kind of help me deal with some of my my struggles. So I know TK and I met last summer. Just uh, I volunteered for some camps and stuff with him in the summer, and uh, we were shooting the shit one time. Somehow mental health came up, and we were talking about the podcast. And he said, oh, yeah, "Hell, man, like get me on there. Like I've got so many stories of, of when I was playing. Um, you know, it, it would blow your mind." So I figured, you know what? Let's get him on air. Let's let's get some of these stories live. And obviously, this season we've got quite a few bigger names on air. So. We're excited to have him, and yeah, I know yeah. when we were first talking, TK, you said your story kind of goes way back, and the way we kind of want to run this episode is just kind of let you tell your story and see where it takes us. So do you want to start, you know, way back to the Sioux days? So I was obviously a, a young guy in northern Ontario playing hockey. I never really, you know, you never, I never, for me, I never had a dream of like, or actually thought I was going to make the NHL. My big thing was, for me was always to try to be the best player on my team. I think my parents really focused on that too, is just make sure when you go on the ice, you're the best player on the ice and you put everything you have into it. And right. I did that right. all the way up to like Bantam Midget and then I got drafted to the OHL in the first round. And my first year, um, you know, you go through a lot of struggles thinking and wondering if you're good enough to play with, you know, I had guys like Jeff Carter, Trevor Daly, guys on the team and I was like just a young kid from Sault Ste. Marie and like I was like am I going to be able to make this team am I 
am I going to be able to play with these guys that are pretty much NHL ready? So right. I went to camp. I had an okay camp, and, you know, um, I got sent down to, like, the junior, junior B for a couple games because um, – I'm not sure if they they had a lot of guys and other guys were older and more mature. And at that age, at that time, I had like a baby face. And so when I got sent down, it was like, I was like, I might have been the only first rounder to be sent to the junior B to play in a weekend. And then I ended up going up to junior B up in Sault Ste. Marie. Like you're, you're traveling to like these little towns on these bush roads. And believe me, that kind of fired me up and it kind of really made me. Long bus rides. Oh yeah. Long bus rides and a lot of thinking, you know. That's that's the kind of yeah. the, the good thing about bus rides. You do a lot of thinking, but sometimes it's good, sometimes it's bad. So um, I went down. I went down. I played my butt off, and I ended up getting called up. And I I stayed up the whole time. And then my second year, it was my draft year, and it was kind of like no matter what, everyone knows. Okay, this is your draft year. Like you have to, you know, play your best hockey, the best hockey possibly you can, and put them up, put them up put up as many points as possible and I uh <clears throat> being the year I still remember I was in Saginaw and like something clicked in my mind that it was like that one of those mental things that like you start trying to figure stuff out and like how to play your best and then it kind of backfired right. for me and it was like well if I don't sleep tonight I'm not gonna be able to play that well or I'm gonna get beat up and and all night uh, I thought about that and it was like it was weird how it clicked you know and I kind of under now that I sit back and I understand like how like a lot of mental battles happen and it's not like people are like want them to happen. It's just something like for me, it like clicked in my mind that my mind started to think differently. So mm. I struggled with that for like a really, really long time. And I, I bet you my whole OHL career, like every night I never slept well. I'm, I, don't, I don't know if I ever got more than five hours of sleep before an OHL game Jeez. after that kind of club. Wow. Yeah, it, it was really weird. And back home, or even in the OHL in general, I don't think there's too many places where you can open up and say, hey, I'm, ha- I'm struggling with this kind of this mental battle I'm having with like trying to sleep, trying to relax for a game, trying to put my best foot forward with all this pressure on me and I don't know how to handle it, you know? And like, yeah, yeah. yeah. It just seems like back then it was still that old school mentality is like, just like suck it up and just like, don't worry about it, just play your game and, you know, whatever. And it's like, well... You know, it's a little bit more than that to me. You know, you can say that to a kid who's playing high school hockey or a kid who's playing, you know, lower. But I was trying to be the best I could, and obviously I was playing my hometown. So it really affected me, and I I didn't really know who to turn to. Obviously, I turned to my parents, but I don't think they ever dealt with something like that. My mom's a secretary for a a university, and my dad's, you know, uh, a bona fide... uh, caretaker for um like uh national parks in canada so he mm-hmm. cleans the roads he does all like the he's sorry he's a maintenance guy that takes care of the roads and all this stuff so they weren't really sure how to handle it they they were just kind of kind of flying by the cedar pants just like i was you know we were never in that situation before i don't think they understood a lot of stuff and nothing against them it just they just weren't sure how to handle it, you know? And right, even right. I, I remember talking to some of my coaches and they were just like, cause they were ex players and they're, and I was like, Hey, I'm, you know, I'm, you know, you ever have a hard time sleeping for a game? And, and one guy's like, no, no, I just shut my eyes. I'm out like a baby. And I'm like, <laughs> wow, that's, that's, 
that's a lot different than how I am. You know, I'm not wired like that. And right. he was like a tough guy in the NHL, and it was like real weird to hear him say that. But <clears throat> I remember even in my NHL days what with Jordan Stahl, like I remember going, I used to be roommates with Stahl for three years and or four years, and the guy would, 11 o'clock, he'd turn the TV off, and he wouldn't wake up to 8.30 in the morning. And then at 2 o'clock for a pregame nap, he'd shut his eyes, and he wouldn't wake up, where I was like, it took me a long time to shut my eyes, you know. Right, so I right. dealt with that for my whole OHL career, and then I ended up getting drafted to a Wilkes, oh, and, uh, Pittsburgh Penguins, and I went to Wilkesbury. When I went to Wilkesbury, it was the first time being away from home, and it just seemed like I had no pressure, you know, and the only pressure I really put on myself was myself. You know, I the only thing, yeah, it was right. awesome. It was it was a real cool thing. No one can really watch my games because we were in Wilkes and um I kinda like let my give myself a little bit of a a longer leash and like let myself relax and I had one of the funnest and best years I could possibly ask for, you know, except at Christmas or January I ended up getting a sports hernia because in Wilkesbury wasn't too much to do, so I used to train like crazy, but what I didn't understand was when you train like crazy and you go really hard, you got to make sure you're stretching and keeping your body level. And hey, you got to rest, right? Yeah. Yeah, and <clears throat> maybe that's why I had such a good year. But it made me get a sports hernia, and um, that kind of threw that year, the rest of the year, out the out the window because I, I it took me a while to figure out what it was because I'd take six weeks off, and then I'd come back, and after two weeks, I'd be like, "Yep, feeling it again." So right there is two and a half months, and then. Once I got surgery, I was out for like three months, and it was summer. But I obviously made some noise in those first four months up there, and I got some of the attention from the Penguins. And I remember going into the training camp, there was like four or five guys that were supposed to be like had a chance for one roster spot. And I was in the mix, but I remember calling our trainer in the summer and saying, hey, like, you know, I'm training hard. My stomach feels great. I'm... I've been crushing abs, you know, I'm training like a madman right now. And uh, and he, he, he like, said, well, yeah, you're getting called down September 28th. And I'm like, what? He goes, yeah, no, you're getting sent down September 28th. And I was like. I already had the date and everything. Yeah. And so that kind of, that kind of let, like, a little bit of the air out of the, you know, tires. And So what are you thinking at that moment? That was kind of my, like you know, know knowing your story a little bit from talking before the show. What in that moment when he's telling you like, oh yeah, I already knew you're getting sent down, and you have no idea. Like mentally, what what kind of stuff's going through your head? Were you just like kind of prepared for it, or were you like, oh shit, you know, I felt like I was ready to make the leap, and now all of a sudden I got to reassess. Yeah, I, I for me, I was like, holy shit, what am I working so hard for? Like, this is like, I'm not even running, you know, and yeah. like all this hard work I'm putting in, like I'm still going to play in Wilkesbury, but how I think differently was it kind of like, I thought of it differently. I was like, yeah, what am I doing the workout? But like, okay, they think that wait till they see me in training camp, you know, wait till I let, right. all, I let all these other guys. Yeah. I'll let all these other guys feel the pressure. I already know I'm getting sent down. The biggest thing for me is to go there and open some eyes and make them, have to keep me, you know, so mm. that's kind of what I was thinking, you know, but I just, again, I went to camp, I felt great, I had a great camp, 
They gave me some games, this and that. And I think it was because mentally I, it was a challenge for me. And I think that's what gets the most out of me is a challenge. You know, whenever I'm challenged mm-hmm. and if I, uh, if my mental state is thinking of the challenge the right way, instead of a negative way, it's a positive way. And like saying, mm-hmm. Oh, well, whatever. I wasn't supposed to do it anyways. I always do really well instead of like, I have to do it is no, I want to do it. So that was kind of my mental state, especially going to camp. Like I was very relaxed, you know, but again, I still struggled with the sleep thing, you know, especially going to that camp. And then I went down to Wilkes-Barre and at at the end of the day, getting sent down, no matter how much you're prepared, like I was like, it sucks being told you're not good enough to make a team, you know? And that was the first time. Yeah that it actually meant something. And I remember on the way, way down, I was like, Jesus, like, this is tough. Like being told you're not really good enough to make a team before you're just like, Oh, you're just cut from a team. It doesn't really matter. But when you're pretty much said, yeah, like this, you got to go down and get better. It's like, wow. You know? So that was like kind of a dagger in the heart getting sent down, even though I was prepared for it. But I went down, I kind of went down with a positive attitude because I knew, you know, they end up just picking someone up. So I kind of knew those other guys were coming down too. So I went down and um, I I just had a positive attitude. I scored some goals right off the bat. And the guys that came down, it felt like they were um, pretty much sulking because they thought they were going to make the team. And they, they were kind of in the same situation. But I think they went down with a bad attitude. And I think coaches right. and GMs, they all see that stuff, you know. And, like, when they preach about, like, attitude and, you know, your, you know, what kind of mood you come to the rink, like, they see that. They want kids that want to be there. They want players that want to be there with a positive attitude that want to get better. They want guys that go to the rink and, oh, I should have been there, this and that. They want guys that are hungry because at the end of the day, it's a business, and they don't want to deal with, like, players sulking, you know. So I end up getting right, called right. up right away. And um, I got called up. I, and again, I had a, a really good year. Um, I was actually picked for the young guns, but it seemed like I couldn't break, get a break. A week before the young guns, I got mono. And oh, Jesus. So I couldn't, yeah. So I was supposed to go to an all-star game, which would have been like the highlight of my, pretty much my career, yeah. you know, besides yeah, the Stanley yeah. Cup. And I get mono right. and, you know, all the boys are like, oh, the kissing disease, which was hilarious. Oh, man. You know? <laughs> <laughs> so um, <laughs> it was just crazy. So I end up, you know, laying down for three or four weeks. And at that time, like, I was still young. So even though I had mono, I can still get through a lot of stuff being still I, st- I think I feel like I feel like I came back with mono still you know but I was just like ah, I'm fine you know I don't I play 12 minutes a night like I should be able right. to get through 12 minutes a night you know so yeah, I'll push through I'm going push back through. a little bit early yeah so um that was a, a fun year then the next year in camp and then I made the team and this and that and something just kind of again it was starting to get into that mental battle where about sleep and you know playing well and <clears throat> who's coming because my first year I came in and I was kind of like a little bulldog, you know, I hit everything that moved. I scored some goals, you know, I fought a little bit, you know, I did all that kind of stuff I had to do to stay in the league. My mm-hmm. second year is you kind of know what's coming. The first year you don't know what's coming. The second year, you know, what's coming. So it was a little bit more uh, stress. So I ended up meeting up with a, 
sports psychology used to come to the ring, Amy Kimball, she was unbelievable. And I think she actually probably added like three years to my career, just keep me on the straight and narrow. But I, I did, dealt with her for five years, and I think she really helped being a voice that would pretty much a, an ear to listen to all the stuff I had to say. Mm-hmm. And when I talked about it, it made it made more sense for me, you know. And I think even when you see all these podcasts and all these ex-NHL players or all these guys that really struggle with mental um, situations, I think when they tell their story, they feel better about it and they feel more comfortable, and that's exactly the same way I did. The more I just the act it, the of more, telling the story, yeah, yeah. The, the the more you can like let someone else know about it, the easier it is, you know. Because mm-hmm. if you keep it in your own head, it it's like good cop, bad cop forever. So yeah, yeah. yeah it's right, just competing right. voices going back and forth. Yeah, and so like I remember telling Amy, hey, let's she because she obviously like she was a sports scholar, so she worked from nine to five, or she went to the rink and she wanted. You know, but I would always say, like, hey, I don't want to do anything here because I was so worried about the boys, you know, like, oh, TK's a mental head, like he's a head case, you know, and I'm like, no, I just, I'm dealing with something, you know, but I didn't want anyone to know, and I didn't I didn't want anyone to use it against me. I didn't want anyone to chirp me about it, you know, so I said, Amy, I end up looking up her number, and I got her number, and I end up uh, texting her, and when I used to call, like, talk to her, call her, even though I was on her own call her or whatever, I would try to make it like later at night so we can talk and I can get it out of my head before I went to bed. Mm-hmm. And then I would even write stuff down after we talk. So everything was either on paper or Amy knew about it or someone knew about it, you know, so I can talk to them about it. Because obviously for me, like even if I talk to my parents, my girlfriend, family members, no one really understood, you know, right. like unless you're around it, even it was nice. Like what was kind of nice was, having a roommate, even though I couldn't really open up to Stalzy, it was so nice just like shooting the shit with them and talking about like everyday life stresses with them, you know, and just make, making a joke out of it, you know, and kind of, when you make a joke out of it, it kind of like eases the pain, I guess, or not eases the pain, but takes a load off you. So I think like, I love having a roommate. Obviously it was a little difficult when you're, you know, you're both 23, 24 and we, we both have a little bit of a different, you know, I like, Stalzy's a great guy. He went to bed early, or I went to bed early. Stalzy, like this and that. So it was, it was, it had to good as positive and as negatives, but it was, it was really helpful for a mental state. But uh, getting back to my story, Amy <clears throat> really helped me out, and it was crazy that she was like the first one that kind of understood the pressures and how to deal with it, and kind of knew a lot about about psychology and the mental state and all that stuff where, mm-hmm. you know, you talk to other people, they're just like, you know, it's, they're, they're coming from a different world. It seems like, you know, they have no idea what to say to you. It's crazy. Yeah. They just think you're being soft or that something's wrong with yeah. you or, oh, yeah. you know, that's like, not normal. Yeah. 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 Like I, I, I've talked to people know you're a pussy. Like you can't sleep. Like that's embarrassing. And it's like, Okay, like, it, but no matter what, like, now that I'm out of the game and I step back, and, like, all those, like, people that were a negative influence, it's crazy that when I step back, I'm like, I, I cared way too much about what other people thought, you know? And yeah, then yeah. I kind of see how the really good players I played with, 
like the elite, like Crosby's, the the Tavares's, and all that kind of stuff. How they are so mentally strong, and I think I think they all have had mental training because when you see how they perform and how they after a bad game, how they still believe that they just had a bad game. It was just an off night, and they go back to being, you know, the the top ten best player in the world or ever. You know, it's just yeah, crazy yeah, how crazy. much belief they have in themselves, and they don't worry about the outside noise. And you mean you talk to all those elite guys right now, even on interviews, they always talk about how it's about putting pressure on themselves and not other people, and that's that's a big thing, especially for young kids. You know, don't worry about you know, what your parents think or anything like that. Worry about how you feel you played. You know, if you think you had a shitty game, you probably did. But So do you think that that, you think that that fed into to your progression, learning, you know, through working with Amy and then just kind of learning from yourself over the years? Like that, hey, man, it doesn't matter what these people are thinking of me. You know, it, it matters kind of I'm going to challenge myself. And at the end of the day, that's how, how I'm going to get better. Uh, truthfully, no. Like, uh, I just wasn't that mentally strong. I don't know if I just because I had if I like I always even my last year I ended up getting like my whole career I started to get taken Ambien, you know, and that kind of helped yeah. me take the load off, you know. But I remember I had like a two year stretch where I wasn't taking Ambien. I was writing stuff down. I was on the right track. I was having some really good years, you know, and. Mm. Even my last year, I still remember having those mental battles of worrying what other people thought, you know, and I'm right. still kicking my butt right now thinking like, oh, geez, if you would have saw the big picture, because my, my wife used to preach to me about it, you know, and say, hey, don't worry about yeah, all yeah. that stuff, right. you right. know, and right. it's like that outside source, but, you know, it's hard when you're so ingrained in a, a certain mindset, you know, mm-hmm. but it definitely did help when I got older, but I was, again, like, Cup like seven years ago, the game was different. You know, like if you're a third, fourth line, uh, fourth line guy, like if you're not scoring goals, like you better do something else. You know. Well, I think that right. goes right into your career. We've seen we've seen some uh, decent fights. You've got Avery in the books, Upshaw, Shen, uh, Ben. You've got some big names. Um, and I, I know you were talking about. You just briefly said something about the ambience. How often did you take that necessary to sleep or were you taking it, you know, to get you through the game? Because I know you said you're third for fourth line. Now you've got to make an impact in the game. And um, you've had your fair share of Tillies out there. And I'm sure most of it was to, you know, one, I've got to stick up for guys like Malcolm Crosby Two, Fuck, I'm trying to keep my job in the show right now. Exactly. You know, and especially my first year in Wilkesbury, I had some guys that kind of, you know, I had Carcillo, I had Dennis Bondi. I had some guys that were like, no, part of it is, like, anyone screws around with your team, especially being an energy guy, like, you kind of have to step up, let them know, like, you're not going to let take that, you know? Right. But right. I, right. I would always, it would always be that ambience, like, uh, you take it the night before because it, like, you're, you're like, you're you're loopy after it, you know? Like, you, it, like you're on cloud nine. You know, I, I, I can't really remember how I felt when I was on it just because, um I don't know. I, I just, it's been such a, a while, you know, it's been three or four years since yeah. I had one, you know, but, right. um, it definitely put me to sleep. It helped me relax. It helped me kind of, I kind of drift off. And I kind of, I'm trying to think of like how an ambient would feel. It's more like, I don't do marijuana or nothing, but I would think it'd be like doing marijuana where it helps you relax, you know, I just, just like relaxing. Yeah, calm, yeah. Calming effect before, yeah. Calming effect before bed and 
Right. Yeah, these are the questions you guys got to start asking the medical guy, man. That's why I'm on here. Am- Ambient's <laughs> a calmer. It brings you down, right? Everything everything starts to relax. You feel like you can just kind of let everything go and go to bed. Yeah, but the thing is, when you, in the morning, you're the same way. <laughs> oh, you're groggy you know, as like, right. Which is going to be my next question. How did you... How did you deal with the grogginess, right? Because you're getting ready to play. you got to be, you know, mentally uh, as sharp as can be. So so what was your method for kind of waking up and, and attacking that? Besides licking your stick. You know, Besides hard. licking your stick. Yeah. <laughs> you know what? The, story, the quick story behind that is, like, I went, like, 15 games without scoring a goal. And I was like, I got like, me and Tell were talking. I'm like, I got to do something <laughs> to change my luck. Like, <laughs> like, licking my stick. And sure as shit, I got two goals. It goes viral. Yeah, yeah, it goes viral. So I would take Ambien in, yeah, I would take Ambien at night, and then in the morning, I would be like I got hit by a bus. Like I'd be like, oh my god! Like I went to bed at eleven or ten thirty, and I'm waking up at eight. Like Jesus! Like I feel like I got three hours of sleep last night, you know. And I think that's how Ambien works, you know. It kind of tricks you a little bit, but right. I would, uh, I would load up on the the gitch underneath my gear, and I would try to. Yeah, go as hard as I could for morning skate to sweat as much as I could out, and then I would refuel. Like I'd get as much water in. Mm-hmm. But when I went home, like I rarely, rarely ever took a pregame nap. I was always like thinking about the game, and I would think about situations. And I would, for me, what helped me in the game, I would write down like three things that I I want to get done in a game. You know, I want to. I got to be good on the wall. I got to get three shots, and I got to finish my checks. If I do that, that's a good game for TK. You know, yeah, so I would be yeah. writing stuff down in the afternoon, and all afternoon I'd be thinking about systems. And I think I was so nervous that I would be like, I'd be right on point when the game started. You know, even I remember one of my coaches used to say, "TK, you need to smoke weed before a game because you know why? You're just like." <laughs> yeah, I can't, you know, but that's how I, I function. You know, that's, I was always, you know, if someone asked me to go right off the draw, like I was ready to rock, you know, right, even though right. I never fought that much, I was always ready to rock because I was so ready, you know? Yeah. So yeah. was that an every so, game, an every game throughout yeah. the course of your career type thing? Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. Like, uh, like, um, the guy asked me to go, I'd be so mad that he asked me to go that I'd want to rip his head off, you know? I guess you'd be ready for it. (laughs) Yeah, I'd be ready for it. I knew what to do a little bit, you know, and I kind of, I was so mad about my, like, really just not being able to handle the mental state and this guy asked me to fight that I'd be, I'd be red, you know, and like, that's where it kind of came from, you know, but yeah, um, yeah, I, 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 if I had some like good fights, you know, I won some right box quite a bit, and I fought. I had some good fights. With, I had a good one against Jamie Ben, Harmonic, who I kind of became buddies with after, because oh, uh, I gave him a black eye for Christmas, and he never let me live it down. <laughs> but uh, I, 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 oh, you know, it's good. Still, yeah, what? Well, so I got traded to the Islanders, and <clears throat> half the Islanders I fought, I fought Matt Martin. Harmonic. There was like two other guys I fought. So I go walk in the dressing room. It was hilarious. And I remember uh, talking to Harmonic at the Christmas party. And his, his, I think his future wife was like, "Yeah, you give him a black eye for Christmas." And I go, "You know what? <laughs> I didn't. Want, that was the last thing. It was a, it was a game before Christmas. I wanted to sail off into the sunset, have a good Christmas. And yeah. this idiot is asking me to go in the first period to be a hero. <laughs> so obviously, I'm going to try to kill him. You know." So it was yeah. real funny. So it was it was cool. Oh, yeah. 
Um, yeah, that's awesome. So I want to kind of flip flip the switch here, TK. I know after your career uh, playing, uh, now you have your, your, your hockey academy. Working with such young athletes, um, I know a lot of kids in this Pittsburgh area love to look up to you. Obviously, they see the successful figure in you, uh, in your hockey style, obviously winning a cup and, and having a good career. Um, but how much does your mind actually shift now that you're on the other side of it and knowing how much mentally it actually affects kids, especially with the youth that's coming up now? Oh, it's huge, and especially when I do a lot of lessons, it's all positive. You know, I want kids, Yeah. even if they're not the best, I want them thinking they're, be- they're the best. You know, I want them to mm. have some swagger, and I want them, when they leave my clinic, I want them thinking like they, they trained harder than anyone else in Pittsburgh and they're going to have a great game because if a kid goes into a game thinking, wow, I'm ready, he's usually going to have a pretty good game, you know, and I think right. they get enough negative stuff from their parents, from their buddies, all this stuff. I'm trying to build kids. And that's, that's my really, some of, obviously I like to run really hard drills, but my big thing is building them up like they are training like an NHL player and they are going to play like one. You know, right? Mm-hmm. And and that's my big thing. And I try to keep moving. You know, I believe in reps. You know, I don't believe in calling them in and stopping. I think you got to do that a little bit for certain situations. But I think, for me, how I learned the most from pretty much my dad, who never played. You know, he knew the game, but he was like, I remember going outdoor rink, and my dad would pass pucks to me on my backhand or my forehand with running shoes on. You know, he never had his skates on. Right. But. I don't think he knew, like, hey, if you catch it on your backhand, it's on your heel, you know? But yeah. he'd pass me 300 pucks until I figured it out myself. And that's kind of, in a right. way, that's how I feel with kids. You know, you can, hey, catch on your backhand. But they got to, I try to run them through as many reps as possible each drill so they understand it, they get comfortable with it, you know, because that's how I feel kids have more uh, success than stopping the drill, mm. really explaining it, all that stuff. Like if a kid screws up once, let him throw it back four or five times. And if he's still screwing up by four times, then you'll have to say something. But I think right, right. right off the bat, you got to let them run through his stuff. And that's how I really believe in that mental stuff. And I know a lot of parents are, they're harder than their kid. And I don't know really so the things behind it. So I don't say much, but I just try to make sure the kid has a, a positive experience and he's, he's having fun out there, but also getting a lot better and a good sweat. Yeah, so oh, awesome. so I guess that'll lead me into one TK, and and the question really is like with what you just said, how important do you think it is? Obviously, going through your progression, seeing how you and your buddies trained growing up, and now seeing it as a guy who played in the show and and knows what the experience is like. But how important do you think it is for parents to kind of form like more of a nurturing relationship with their their kids who are athletes? Rather than kind of putting so much pressure on them, that hey, you got to make it to the NHL or you got to make it to college, you know, kind of giving them that positive outlook and just enjoying the sport. I, I think there's probably like fifty-fifty, you know, like where the parents they know what their kids giving, you know, where they're like mm-hmm. giving fifty percent and they know they because a lot of kids they'll see their parents see flashes of greatness, you know, where right. you know, and it's like yeah, they like he skated fast that one time. Well, that that's just one time you know like he yeah yeah he, it's hard to pull out a kid to go 110 percent every second you know and i think some parents think like i can try to pull it out of them or this and that you know and yeah i usually can pull it out of them but at the end of the day like i'm not there at games i'm not there behind the bench like it's got to come from them i'm trying to see that i'm trying to get them to believe that they can 
stay up with the better group because when they do go 100%, they're a lot better. But I, right. at certain ages, like it's it's all about being positive and trying to be good on your own team. Don't try to don't have a goal of making the NHL. Have a goal of being really good and being happy with how your yourselves playing, how your kid playing. You know, don't mm. don't try to strive to be something that it's really hard to be. You know, and not many kids are lucky enough to you know get D one scholarships or go to the OHL or make make the NHL, you know, just try to be really good at every level you are and be positive and understand that kids like they go through a lot of, a lot of situations, you know, especially going to Bantam, like that's a scary thing for young kids, you know, getting hit, you know, I always tell like I do a coaching clinic for uh, all the, like pretty much all the coaches in Pittsburgh on body contact, you know, and I always go back to them and say, Hey, this is like me. This is like your family going to watch you play men's league and watching and critiquing everything you do. Right. Mm. So if there's a lot, you know what I mean? Like, so if you're, if your kid's out there and he's getting hit all over the place and you're all over him, just think how much pressure it is. Cause he's getting pressure from his buddies. He's getting pressure from getting hit from bigger guys that he's never done before. And then when he gets off the edge, you got to hear from you too. It's you have to understand that again, being a positive influence and getting your your point across in a in a way that is positive helps your kid more than be negative. If your kid's just being right. lazy, yeah, there's a different way to go about it, you know. But again, the kids go through a lot of things, and I always say, you know, put yourself in your kids kids shoes. You know, see how. All right, I'm out there. I'm playing against my buddies at Squirt. I'm not the best. I'm trying my butt off, but I don't understand why I'm not doing good. You know, and then yeah. see, say, okay, like, how do I feel? Like, trying to figure out what's going on. Like, that's when you need, like, some nurturing or, hey, you're doing your best you can, you know. Just keep trying. It'll come. If you put the work in, it'll come. And I, I heard one of the best, best quotes I've ever heard, that hard work works, you know. Mm-hmm. And if you work yeah. hard, yeah, seriously. it'll work. It doesn't happen overnight, but if you put the work in, especially at, you know, the youth level, it'll work. You know, like, mm. it, it, you know, if you have a squirt that shoots, a, works on shooting all the time, he's got a hard shot, he's going to be a pretty good player. Even if he can't really skate that well, he gets that puck in the slot, he's going to be a good player because he's going to have a hard shot, you know. But right. you got to work at doing it. you got to work and over and over and over it just doesn't come overnight and i think that's another big thing with like kids that they think they can do it one time hard and they get it and it it is like a habit you know and you always go back mm-hmm. to you know Sidney crosby i played with him for six years the guy go before premium skates and shoot 50 pucks from each side you know and it's like all right said so you think you got it now but no he he wants it so ingrained that if he gets that puck in the slot he doesn't have to look at the net he knows where it is you know right, right. almost to like the point habit. where it's just habit yeah 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 so it's it's a it's a big thing with youth hockey the mental state being positive making sure you know your kid if he had a bad game there's a way to make sure he he understands a message you're bringing across without like crushing him you know and again mm-hmm. at eu and that stuff just just sit back and enjoy your kid give him some pointers but it's eight-year-old hockey, you know. It's my hockey. Enjoy your coffee in the stands. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> you know, and that—that's the big one for me. Just enjoy your coffee. Enjoy your kid playing hockey, you know. And 
if he wants to get better, he'll probably ask, you know, and if you ask him, hey, you want to go extra ice, he says no, there's no sense bringing him because, one, the coaches ain't going to want him there, and he probably doesn't want to get He's going to be miserable. So he, but, exactly, you know. So, and it, and it, hockey's changing a lot, especially the youth hockey. Like, it's getting so competitive. Kids are getting oh, it's really, unbelievable. really good really good at a young age to understand the game more, you know, and I think that's with everything. You know, kids are just getting, you know, you got a three-year-old who knows how to wheel around on an iPad and do this and that, she wants to put makeup on and yeah. all this, you know, and at three years old, I was like picking my nose, you know, and trying to... Cook, cookies throwing <laughs> the makeup you know, on already? No, yeah, makeup on, like telling daddy where to go, it's awesome. Uh-oh. You know? oh, yeah. All right, I think we'll wrap up there. Uh, TK, it's been awesome to have you here on the show. I, I think you really shed light on your professional career, and um, especially, you know, I think we jumped conversation into the mental aspect of the youth and growing up, and um, I think it really opened some eyes to not just parents but athletes as well um, at all levels. So can't thank you enough for coming on air. I'm sure Brandy and Coach yeah, are thanks, looking, TK. Uh, that was to, great. to get you back to the house. So thanks, thank boys. You, all right, boys. All right, thanks again. That was huge to have TK on the show. Um, I know he's had quite the experience, obviously, living the professional lifestyle in the NHL and bouncing around from different leagues and now coaching. Um, certainly shed some great light on uh, mental health. I know some of the show might have seemed like he was just storytelling, but you break that stuff down, and especially as a former hockey player, Albie, I know you'll attest to that. A lot of the stories is just so relevant to your mental health and the daily regime of taking care of yourself. Um, so I can't thank TK enough for coming on air. That's huge. We're so excited to have him come onto the panel. Uh, that'll actually be our final episode on January 24th here in Pittsburgh. Um, so stay tuned for that, and we're excited to uh, have him on board as, as well as some others for that panel. Um, Albs, you want to close her out? Yeah, I'll close her up. I just want to thank TK again. I mean, um, obviously, you know, hearing his stories, hearing his experiences, I think our, our listeners can – you know, gain some perspective on, on, you know, what it's like to, to be under that much pressure and to still perform and, and to realize too, that even though you make it to the, you know, the NHL, which is the high, you know, highest level of hockey, we can, we can play in this country, um, in the world rather, uh, it doesn't mean that you can't have struggle. It doesn't mean that you can't have things to overcome in your career. So I think, you know, that's where we're going to leave it this week. And we'll come back next week with a, another story from another great guest. And, you know, just thank you guys so much for listening. Um, let us know if there's any other topics you want us to discuss. And as always, you can follow us on any of the social media platforms at NGU Radio. And, um, yeah, just keep listening, guys. We appreciate it. Thank you. All right, later. See you next week, guys.